Good morning, everyone. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. It's good, isn't it? Now, we're going to be looking at Hosea today. Um, So you might want to turn there in your Bibles. See if you can find Hosea there in the Old Testament, nestled in amongst the uh, minor prophets. If you're not used to reading the Bible, there'll be it's like a little challenge to find a tiny little book in the Old Testament. Now, there's a reason why we're looking at Hosea, and it's because we've just been looking at Amos, and uh, Hosea was the contemporary of Amos. So Hosea was speaking into the same situation that we've been looking at over the past couple of weeks. So it seemed a shame to me to move on from Amos without looking at Hosea. Because Hosea's message is an incredible message. It's just so powerful and it's so gritty, uh, but it, it speaks into the same context. And so while we're immersed in that context and we understand what Israel was like at the time when Hosea was speaking, I thought, well, let's not move on. Let's have a look at Hosea as well. But for those of you who haven't been around uh, the last few weeks when we've been looking at Amos, I'll see if we can do a little recap just so that we're all on the same page for today. So Amos is, is like a roaring lion. He's just, from start to the end of his book, he's just, he, he's just relentless in the way he, that he speaks uh, God's word to the people of Israel. It's, it's just pulling no punches. This guy Amos was a uh, prophet from Tekoa, was, which, who, which was in Judah, uh, in the southern kingdom. And he was a fig scratcher and a sheep herder. He was basically a small business entrepreneur. Uh, and God sent this guy Amos into the northern kingdom of Israel, which was ten tribes. The two tribes in the south, ten tribes in the north. Un- at the time of Jeroboam II, to speak against the people of Israel. Because this time of Jeroboam II was a time of incredible expansion, it was a time of prosperity, it was a time of wealth. Uh, The borders had just expanded way beyond what they were before Jeroboam came to power. Uh, They they had insulated themselves from the main threats from the nations around them, from Assyria in the north and Egypt in the south. Uh, It was a time of acquiring tons of gold, tons of ivory. It talks about them lounging on ivory couches. Uh, The wealthy amongst them were expanding their palaces and building summer houses for themselves. And it was a time of incredible, uh, extravagant festivals, worship festivals, at a place called Bethel mainly. uh, But there was a number of illegitimate worship sites around Israel where they were just sacrificing their thousands, bulls and rams, uh, supposedly to God. It was a time of, on the surface, the headlines were, were, were looking good. It was a time of prosperity and success. But underneath, there was this terrible situation of corruption, where the poorest in society were being so terribly uh, abused. Five main offences that Amos brings out against Israel were these. The first one it was that they had totally forgotten what God had done for them. When they were the oppressed people in Egypt, when God set them free from the hand of Pharaoh, they used to be this slave nation that had no dignity, no respect. They had no freedom, and God had rescued them out of that place and and given them a new identity, given them dignity, made them this incredible nation of God. 
And they'd forgotten all of that because the oppressed people had become the oppressors. They had started dealing in slave trading. They had started uh, uh, brutally oppressing those who were most vulnerable in their society. So they'd completely forgotten what God had done for them and they'd become like the people they were rescued from. That's the first thing. Second thing is that the ruling classes had stripped people so much from their dignity that they'd reduced people to just purely what they could get out of them. So it talks about them selling noble, beautiful families for the price of a pair of sandals. Third thing, they would deny the innocent justice in the courts in order to save their own skin. So the court system, the the legal system was corrupt. You could bribe your way out of any problem. Fourthly, sexual abuse had become normalised. And fifthly, uh, religion was used as a way of justifying all kinds of atrocities in their country. Remember, uh, they debased themselves with wild parties in the temples of God uh, at the expense of the poor and the vulnerable. And they did it in God's name and they called it worship. And on top of that, they had the audacity to ex- uh, claim that God is fine with all of it and that their wealth is really a sign of his blessing and approval. And so through Amos, God takes the lid off the whole thing. He throws a plumb line. It says in chapter 7 of Amos, he said, I'm going to throw my plumb line into the nation of Israel. You're going to see what is straight by my message. And then you're going to see how far you as a nation have leaned away from my design and my purpose for you. He's also going to call an end to it. He says through Amos, have a look at this basket of Ripe summer fruit. This is the last of the summer fruit. It looks the best of the year. It looks amazing. But I tell you what, what comes out of the, after the last of the summer fruits, it comes winter. This time of prosperity, this time of plenty, this time of luxury is going to come to an end. And your nation is going to enter a winter. This stops now. God says, enough. You have destroyed our covenant You are no longer my special people. I am no longer your God. Like an adulterous, abusive marriage, God announces, I want a separation. That's the message of Amos. Now into that same situation, into that same nation, we have another friend of God, Hosea, that gets brought in to speak to this same people. So, if you're at Hosea, let's uh, have a look at it. Maybe before I say, actually read the verses, right at the start of this message from Hosea, God gives Hosea a really weird command. It's, it's the strangest thing that God could really ask you to do. And then I said, as I was reflecting on this, that God gave Hosea this really weird command to start this book off. Um, I just remember the um, the amount of times in scripture that God gives his prophets really weird commands. It seems to be something that he does. So if you uh, uh, aspire to prophetic ministry, you need to know this about God before you go any further. I'm thinking, like, he, he said to Moses, 
Go into Egypt, the greatest superpower on earth, and give orders to their brutal pharaoh. Imagine being given that instruction. He said to Jonah, why don't you go to those people that you absolutely despise, people that would kill you as soon as look at you, and why don't you warn them so that they can be saved? He said to Jesus, my beloved son, the Lord of life, go and get yourself arrested. Let them reject you and hate you and hang you on a cross to die. The great prophet. Even past Jesus, he said to Ananias, I want you to go and find that guy Saul. You know, that one that is trying to round you all up and drag you in chains back to Jerusalem to kill you, you and all the ones you love. I want you to go to him, I want you to heal him. And I want you to tell him that I love him. Send him out on his journey. Still want to be a prophet? It's crazy, isn't it? The things that God asks people to do. Well, God says this to Hosea. He says, Go and find a woman with the worst sex addiction you've ever encountered. A notorious woman that can't help but throw herself at anyone who offers her anything. And I want you to marry her and try and create a healthy family with her. That's what God says in a nutshell. That's your assignment. That's not really what you expect to hear from God in your quiet time in the morning, is it? Let's be honest. If any one of you comes to me and says, Aid, I think I've heard from God, but I just want to run this past my pastor. This is what God's told me to do. I can tell you I would probably sit you down and say, do you know what, I think I need to listen to God for myself on this one. I quite like to hear what God's saying because I'm not sure that this one's from God. Because it sounds a bit off, doesn't it? Let's read it. Hosea chapter 1, verse 1. The Lord gave this message to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the years when Uzziah, Jotham, and Ahaz, and Hezekiah were kings of Judah, and Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, was king of Israel. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, Go and marry a prostitute. May not actually be a prostitute, but uh, a notorious woman, it says in some translations. So that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshipping other gods. There is some explanation there. Hosea is called to display something of how Israel has been towards God in their relationship with God. He's called to kind of stand in that place of God as being this faithful one who is looking for a, a beautiful relationship. But Israel is so unfaithful. It's so addicted to going after uh, its own agenda, its own lust, its own addictions, that it can't maintain this healthy relationship with God. It just keeps wandering off and breaking God's heart. And so Hosea has, has been given this job. He was to, called to prophesy not just with his words, but with his whole life. That's, I, I don't know if that's, I, that sounds harder to me than even what God asked Amos to do. 
He was called to be a witness to what God was saying through his relationships, through his marriage and his children, through his reputation and through his social circle. All would be involved in this thing that God had asked him to do. Wow. That is an extreme way of bringing the word of God to your community. But I guess it's the mark of a true prophet and a true friend of God. Someone who's willing to live out God's word 24-7, both publicly and overtly, but also behind closed doors. To be the same at home as you are on the platform. This kind of devotions, devotion to God stands in stark contrast to what was happening in Israel. Because you remember in Amos, God said that these people can't wait to get out of their worship services so that they can go back to cheating people. Do you remember? Their, the worship of Israel in that time was just a show. It was all pomp and circumstance. It was just one great big jamboree, really designed to make them feel better about who they were and to, an excuse to have a party. It actually wasn't about God at all. And as soon as they got out from that public place and got back to their private lives, they would live completely differently to how they were living in public. Actually, the way they treated people stood in stark contrast to what they claimed to be as the people of God. Whereas, this is Hosea. And Hosea is asked to be, have integrity with how he lives his life, to, to be the message that he's proclaiming with his whole life. And this call of God cost Hosea dearly. This would have been hard. It hurt him. This marriage broke his heart. And it would, I, I can't believe that this was the life that Hosea would have chosen for himself. When Hosea was a young man, imagine what his life might look like, what his marriage might look like, what his children might be called. I can't imagine that this was part of the equation that he had dreamed up for himself. But he was faithful. He was faithful to God. And he was faithful to the ones that God had given to him to care for. And maybe we could pause there. I think God is still looking for people who are willing to live for him. And be walking examples of his heart and message. And you may be like Hosea. I wonder, are your circumstances a little bit messy? Is your family at all dysfunctional? Has your life not turned out quite as you expected it would at this stage? That does not mean that God is not with you. That for me is a real encouragement. In truth, God has placed his hand upon you. He's put his spirit within you. And he's called you to be a sign and a witness of his grace and his love and his faithfulness. Right where you are and to the people that God has given you to love and put in your life. Even if they're hard to love sometimes. Just to be clear, I'm not suggesting that you're called to stay in abusive relationships but I am saying you are called to be prophets of Jesus Christ. And the most important 
powerful stage that you have to express the word of God is the stage of your everyday lives. It's in our homes. It's in our workplaces. It's with our partners and our children and our friends. A guy who I really um, admire, a guy called Mark Batterson, he's a um, lead pastor of National Community Church in Washington, D.C. Uh, he uh, has the privilege of leading uh, quite a, probably one of the strongest churches in America. It's like multi-campus, great big thing. I don't know why I'd want to lead something like that. It's huge. Um, but interestingly, Mark uh, is a great author as well. And one of the things that he says is, I, one of the most important things to me is to be famous in my own home. To be famous in my own home. Because he understands that that is the real place of influence. That's the place of real impact. That's the place of real legacy, for better or for worse. It's who we are behind closed doors. It's who we are when those who are closest to us really get what we're about. So I guess we could run a check on ourselves this morning. As prophets of our homes and our families, what message am I living? What is the overriding message that I'm bringing from God to my nearest and dearest? Hosea was asked by God to display the relationship between God and the nation of Israel through his family. He married Gomer, this notorious woman, and she gave birth to three children. And God had some very interesting names for these children. God asked Hosea to name his firstborn son Jezreel. Let's read uh, verses 3 to 5. So Hosea married Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim. I don't even know how to pronounce that. And she became, became pregnant and gave Hosea a son. And the Lord said to uh, said, um, and the Lord said, "Name the child Jezreel, for I'm about to punish King Jehu's dynasty, to avenge the murders he committed in Jezreel. In fact, I will bring an end to Israel's independence. I will break its military power in the Jezreel Valley." So Jezreel was a place of murder and atrocity. In the ears of the Israelites, it would be like calling your firstborn son Auschwitz. It, ridiculous name to call a child. This was a hard impact name. This name basically means mass murder. Can you imagine calling a child that? Verse 6, soon Gomer became pregnant again and gave birth to a daughter. And the Lord said to Hosea, name your daughter Lo-Ruhamah, which means not loved. For I will no longer show love to the people of Israel and forgive them. I can't really think of a more horrible thing to call your daughter than not loved I hope Hosea went to great lengths to explain to this daughter that she was part of a, an incredible, powerful message from God to a nation and that she was indeed loved as a person and a daughter. But God wanted to get the message across. I cannot shower you with my love while you are doing the things that you are doing. 
while you are staying distant from me and you are abusing people and openly destroying everything that we stand for, I cannot shower you with my love. Third child, son number two. God said to Hosea, I want you to call this one, not my people. This is turning out to be quite a family. The Lord said, name him Lo-Ami, not my people, for Israel is not my people, and I am not their God. God has disowned them, and no longer wishes to be in any way identified with his children. Well, there's a family unit for you. <laughs> I kind of sympathise with God at the kind of last one. I mean, we've all been there, haven't we, where we want to disown our children. <laughs> they can be particularly embarrassing sometimes. Have you not been in that moment where you've got a split second to choose, shall I own up that they're mine or not? <laughs> Sometimes it's easier just to keep looking into the distance and hope they think they're somebody else's. <laughs> I had this on, on the beach recently. I'm not going to tell you what happened. I fear that one of my kids might listen to this back in years to come. Uh, but something happened on the beach and I just found myself staring in, out to sea, thinking just they may not know she's mine. <laughs> Praying that everybody leaves the beach before she comes back to our little encampment. <laughs> You've got to learn these skills as a dad. So we have three very oddly named children. Can you imagine how awkward this would have been for Hosea and Goma trying to introduce their family to another family? Can you imagine we just moved to the neighbourhood and somebody invites you around for a barbecue? Welcome to the neighbourhood! Good to meet you, Hosea and Goma. These are our children. Have a little look at, at, at ours here. We've got little Johnny here, uh, and we've got Isabel, uh, and we've got Olivia. These are our kids. They're beautiful, nine, seven, and five. And Hosea and Goma are saying, oh, ours are a similar age, actually. They might get on. This is mass murderer. <laughs> oh, yeah. This one's not loved. That one's not my child. <laughs> You guys will probably get along fine. Go play. <laughs> it's going to be difficult. I don't know how he managed to get through that. These names seem so harsh. And as a prophetic message, it seems so final. God says, essentially, you are murderers. You are not loved anymore. You are not my people. But just as with Amos' cutting message, even... This message that God has given Hosea is a cry for repentance. This is not supposed to be just a message of condemnation. It's, it's, a, it's a message to get through to them, to understand the position they found themselves in and give them an opportunity to turn. There's grace in here. It's an attempt from a heartbroken but deeply faithful God to turn the hearts of his people. The very next verse, after we read about God's names for these kids, God pours out his heart. Let's read chapter 1, and from verse 10. Yet the time will come when Israel's people will be like the sands of the seashore, too many to count. Then, at the place where they were told, you are not my people, it will be said, you are children of the living God. 
Then the people of Judah and Israel will unite together. They will choose one leader for themselves and they will return from exile together. What a day that will be. The day of Jezreel. When God will again plant his people in the land. In that day, you will call your brothers Ami, which means my people. And you will call your sisters Ruhama, the ones I love. Why has Hosea been asked to marry this woman and name these children? Because tied up in them is one big ray of hope. Even though you have gone this far, God says, even though you have been the vilest of sinners, even though you have totally cut yourself off from me, I still want you back. I can't imagine how God can say that given what they've been. I still want you back and I can't stop loving you. So here in this darkest and dirtiest of spiritual states, it's like God is saying, the moment you acknowledge your state and turn and fall into my arms, I will forgive you. I will receive you. I will restore this covenant that we had together and I'll give you a brand new identity. You're going to lose the label, not my people. Instead, you're going to be known as the children of God. And Jezreel, I'm going to do something wonderful with you. I'm going to totally reinvent your name and your identity. You will no longer be known for murder. But you're going to be known for the day that my people will return together from exile. What a day that will be. The day of Jezreel. Which, and the, the word Jezreel means God plants. So God reaches back beyond this a time of atrocity and murder and death. Right to the very roots of what that place was intended to be. A place which was a delightful planting of God. And says, I'm going to restore what I intended that place to be. And therefore I'm going to restore what your name means. God can do that. Only God can restore what he intended from the beginning, even if we have destroyed what God intended in the meantime. I love this. I mean, I, I don't know what you're known for. I don't know what your name means to you. But I do know that God has the power to reinvent the meaning of names. If Jezreel can go from murderer to new planting of the Lord in a time of unity, building and joy, he can make your name mean anything. I've actually met a, quite a few people who don't like their name. They don't like their surname or, or their first name because it means something to them. It may be because of your family history and what your family has been notorious for. I don't know. It may be just something about what your name means, the root of your name, or even just how it sounds that you just don't like. But actually, that's just about preference. That's what's going on in here, about the connections we make with that name. But actually, God can give you some new connections with the sound of that name. God can reinvent your name. So I don't know if you like your name or not, but the, all, all is not lost. If you feel like you've been born into a family that means, that has sort of negative connotations and that your family is known in a negative way, well, God can transform what your surname means to the point where future generations will know 
that name with different ears. Does that make sense? What about the middle daughter not loved? Let's read chapter 2, verse 1 again. For some of you, it will look like it's in chapter 1. It's the way that they lay it out. In that day, you will call your brothers Ami, my people. You will call your sisters Ruhamah, the ones I love. You who have stepped out of God's love and cut off relationship will be drenched with the love of God and brought right into the heart of his own family. What a promise. What an incredible promise. But can we remember who God is speaking to at this moment? That list of atrocities. The disgrace. The shame. The pain they've caused. The most offensive and abusive people on the earth. How can God still have hopes for them? How can God still be willing to love them and adopt them into his holy family after all that? Could any of us have had the cries of the vulnerable of that society ringing in our ears for all those years and still think in terms of forgiveness and kindness towards them? Just turn to chapter 11. And verses 8 and 9. These verses, for me, just they kind of capture what the message of Hosea is about. We hear this, we see this God who is wrestling in his heart. He's a God of justice and a God of love simultaneously. And it's like those two great passions of God's heart are colliding like thunderclouds within him. It's incredible. Verse 8. How can I give you up, Israel? How can I let you go? How can I destroy you like Admar or demolish you like Zebulun? My heart is torn within me and my compassion overflows. I will not unleash my fierce anger, which is there as well. I will not completely destroy Israel, for I am God and not a mere mortal. I am the Holy One living among you and I will not come to destroy for someday. My people will follow me. He alone is God. He alone has this kind of grace to forgive and to restore and beautify people. Even the most wicked people on the face of the earth. There's an old Wesleyan hymn that says, The vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God is totally different from us in this respect. He really is. He's able to forgive and to love and to welcome again and again and again and again over and over and over and over as though it was the first and only time he ever had to do it with your life. Each time he just bestows again and again waves of love and affirming of our new identity in him. And it's inexhaustible. 
and it's constantly available. It's totally other from who we are. It's totally divine. It's totally beyond what is in our human capacity. And it is at the heart of God's identity. This is who he is. And this is what only he can do. He reminds us that we are true sons and daughters the moment we accept his grace once again. That's Hosea in a nutshell. How do we apply this today? I think we can get much faster at coming back to God when we've been in any way distant from God. When we go through a season of living as though he wasn't really there. Anyone ever done that? Suddenly wake up one day and you realise that I'd kind of forgotten God was there for a month. It happens, right? When you perceive that a once burning passion for the Lord has gone a little bit cold. When addictions overwhelm us. If we avoid him because of shame, it's because we've forgotten what he's like. Actually. He's the God of Hosea. He's a God who continually reserves this tidal wave of love stored up in his great big divine heart, ready to be released the moment we turn and repent and seek him and desire authentic relationship with him. So never forget what it's like to return to God. This is something that needs to be on our minds and brought to our attention, our remembrance again and again and again. Never forget what it's like, the experience of returning to God. Let me tell you, shame evaporates in God's presence. Shame and guilt are the things that keep us from returning to God and saying, God, this is me again. I'm I'm not as I should be. I'm not as you wanted me to be. I've, I've, I've become a lesser version of what I know your vision is for myself. This is me. I'm coming back. It's shame and it's guilt that hold us back from coming back. It's our pride that we, that we can't push through to come back to him sometimes. But as soon as you enter God's presence, shame is the first thing that evaporates. And what happens to guilt when you come to God in prayer? What happens? It disappears in the light of his total love and affirmation. His forgiveness just washes over again. And that which you were worried about what you were going to do with before you came, you can't even find it to know what to do with it when you're in his presence because he has just cleansed it. And you find that you are at peace with your father once again. We find ourselves clean and loved and strengthened again. That's how it will always be, every moment for the rest of eternity. Why do we wait, ever? This should be the message that we live and prophesy with our whole lives, behind closed doors and in public. This should also be the message that we share with people that don't yet know what grace looks like. This is a message that everybody is thirsty for, whether they know it or not. Actually, there is a fresh start. And there is a whole life to live, beloved of God. 
sweet repentance, perfect love, a permanent fresh start. How much do we need a God like that? Let's pray. Jesus. Father, I want to pray that at the beginning of this summer season, this summer holidays, where some of us are going to new wine, others of us are going on holiday to different places, Lord, I want to pray that there would just be a clear out right now of all shame and guilt in your presence. God, would you remove every, every obstacle for us coming into your presence and enjoying you once again. Lord, I pray that pride would just come falling down like a house of cards in our lives. Lord, that feeling that we get that we've had to come back too many times. Lord, I pray that that would never return to our consciousness because there's no such thing as too many times with you. Father, I pray that we would know that, that joy of being free in your presence and fully loved. Reaffirm our, our identity as sons and daughters, beloved of yours, Lord, welcomed into the heart of your holy family. And Lord, would you make us prophets of your grace, both in our families and in our workplaces, when we're on holiday, even to the other people that we meet on holiday. Lord, I pray that we would be famous in our houses as being people who know you and love you and know how to return to you and receive your grace. And would you set this church on fire with a passion for your gospel. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.